0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Roxana Browning, and I serve as a deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. God of love, as in Jesus Christ you gave yourself to us, so we may give ourselves to you living according to your holy will. Keep our feet firmly in the way where Christ leads us. Make our mouths speak the truth that Christ teaches us. Fill our bodies with the life that is Christ within us. In his holy name we pray, amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit Our ears listen to his word and our voices be raised to the glory of God.
1: Christ Jesus, Son of God, spotless Lamb, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Through Jesus Christ, the Father demonstrated his amazing, unconditional love for us and how we are to love each other sacrificially. Because we all fail at this, we need to keep short accounts with God to confess our sins and receive his tender mercy, forgiveness, and healing so that we can begin anew. Let us pray. God of mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to seek and save the lost. We confess that we have strayed from you and turned aside from your way. We are misled by pride, for we see ourselves pure when we are stained and great when we are small. We have failed in love, neglected justice, and ignored your truth. Have mercy, O God, and forgive our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise be to God, for he has heard our cry for mercy according to his unfailing love, and according to his great compassion. He has blotted out our transgressions so that we might walk by faith in newness of life in Christ. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Now with believers down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors.
2: Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so grateful you're here. Give yourself a pat on the back for turning your clocks up an hour. Very good. And be kind to those people who come in in about 45 minutes, the back door there, thinking they're at the 9 o'clock service. We uh, celebrate today Girl Scout Sunday. Today is a day where we have had our Girl Scouts uh, amidst our greeting teams, and we're so grateful for their presence here in Troop 127 that meets here uh, at Church of the Palms. Uh, how about all of those of you who once were Girl Scouts, I guess once a Girl Scout, always a Girl Scout, stand up. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, give them a round of applause. <laughs> Wonderful. Excellent. Lots of great things are happening here at Church of the Palms. We would love to know of your presence as you sign the friendship pads, which go past you in the pews, and uh, note those folks who are sitting near you, and perhaps allow that to be the start of a conversation that will continue into our fellowship time. We meet underneath the tree on a beautiful day like today. Why wouldn't you? Uh, so we invite you to come and join us for a cup of coffee there and for some further conversation if you'd like to learn more about membership here at church of the palms today is our new member class it starts at ten fifteen, right after the service over in the chapel uh, reception room so we invite you to come and join us for that experience that will last a little bit more than an hour and you'll learn about membership and uh, you become a member through coming to that class This is also the first Sunday of Lent. We began our Lenten journey on Ash Wednesday just a few days ago, and we continue uh, throughout these uh, days of March and April until April the 20th when we celebrate on Easter. Uh, We invite you to join us in our Lenten devotional, which is online, and there's an announcement about that in the back page of your bulletin. And uh, we invite you to go online and uh, download Uh, the Lenten devotional, which is offered to us by Luther Seminary up in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. We also have a new series of classes uh, during this Lenten season and uh, on Wednesday. So we invite you to take a look at those opportunities that are in your bulletin and join us for uh, those uh, ways by which you can grow further and further into the likeness of Christ. And then uh, lastly, we still can, uh, are in our season of student sponsorships. And if you would like to participate in sponsoring one of our students or our students as they prepare for their summer trips, there are still envelopes available for you in the pew. Uh, we've had a wonderful response, but still want to give you an opportunity to participate in uh, that very important part of our church's ministry. Let's now continue our worship.
3: Let us take a moment to pray together, and would you pray the prayer for the gentleman there who seems to be suffering a little bit this morning. Our gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of our Savior Jesus. We come with thankful hearts, knowing that through your Spirit we can speak directly to you. We can come before you ever so humbly in reverence, and we thank you for this gift, Father. As I have been asked to pray today, this servant of yours wants it to be much more. I desire that these words will be used by your Holy Spirit to shape us and mold us into people that you can use to further your kingdom. Change us so that you may change others through each of us. We lift up this world to you, O Lord. Throughout the turmoil and distress that is occurring around the world, we yearn to know that you are still actively working in it. We especially pray for those whose loved ones apparently are lost in the Malaysian Airlines disappearance. And we lift up those Ukrainians who are so concerned about what is going to possibly happen to them. We pray for those in Syria who are in danger, many who have lost everything. And we pray for an end to all this strife and others that are occurring around this world. We lift up the universal church to you. Strengthen those whom you've called and raise up more workers for your harvest, Father. Let your kingdom come and your will be done throughout the world. And then we lift up your church of the palms and all who grace these doors, those who hunger and thirst after truth and righteousness, who get needed sustenance through various outreaches like the food bank and our other missions. We ask that your spirit would intervene in everything that occurs on this campus and off of it, in the activities of all our lives. We especially pray for those who are hurting and struggling, whether in this room today or not. We pray for your comfort and a peace that would pass all understanding to come into their lives. We pray that their emotional and physical wounds will be healed. Console and give strength to these. Surround them with Christians who will strengthen and encourage them. Show them your love in a new way today, Father. And Lord, we would ask finally that you would open our hearts and minds to hearing your voice in this holy of the seasons leading to Calvary and the tomb. Help us to live in your passion. Fill us with that passion so that others cannot help but be attracted to your light living inside of us. Help us to take that first step and then show us where to run. Help us to never lose the focus and vision that you have and are going to be laying before us. Thank you again for your mercy, for your grace. We know we would be nothing without you and without your grace, and we know that we would not be nothing without any other of the wonderful providences of your hand. And so we return whatever praise or gratitude may, we may receive back to you. God the Father, God the Son, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and give us our bread, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now we would ask our ushers to come forward and to lead us in the giving of our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Grace overwhelms everything and whose gifts are so abundant. We pray in the spirit of our giving that we also may willingly commit our lives, our wills and our beings to the work of your kingdom and to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And now we have our children and Lori to come forward and minister to us.
4: Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Wow, it is not only daylight savings time that we got to spring ahead an hour. We lost an hour of sleep. It's the beginning of spring break for us. So we have a double whammy for family. So I am really grateful to see you guys here today. S- losing an hour of sleep, starting spring break, and I am so glad that you're here. We are continuing our conversation on forgiveness. Remember last week how we talked about the prodigal son? Remember, he like demanded all of his money. He took it, he spent it in wild living, and then he found out himself sleeping with the pigs, really super hungry, and absolutely no money. And he went back to his dad, and what did his dad do? What did he do? Tallulah. He threw him a party. party. Oh my goodness. Well, guess what? That's not the end of the story. There is an older sibling. Are any of you the oldest? You're going to understand this. Any of you the oldest in your family? (laughs) This part is for you, sort of. So, Imagine if you were the oldest son, in this case, and you're at home, working really hard every single day, doing everything that you're supposed to do, taking care of everything, and you see your dad throwing a party for the little scoundrel who went away and spent all the money. How would you feel? I'll give you three words that I think we have all thought and we have all expressed. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that he got all of that. And the son's going, you didn't even throw a stinking pizza party for me and my friends, and we've been here the whole time. You know what the dad said? Everything that I have is yours. We have to celebrate because your little brother, he was lost, but now he's found. It was like he was dead, but he's alive. But that older brother, you know what his heart was like? It was as hard as a base. What is this? A helmet, thank you. As a bicycle helmet, it was that hard. He just didn't have forgiveness in his heart. And you know who gets hurt when you don't forgive? You do. You don't get to take part in the party. You don't get to have the joy and the love of your family because you're so busy being mad and being unforgiving. And I got to tell you one thing. Forgiveness is a decision that we make. It's not a feeling. We decide that we're going to forgive. And then we're living the way God wants us to live. And let me tell you something else. It's not always easy. It's not always easy because our hearts can be pretty darn hard. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for forgiving us even when we don't deserve it. Help us that we might love and forgive others the way that you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: You may be seated. Many thanks to our worship service team taking care of our friend here, and I can see that he has been taken care of by our first aid squad from the community and on his way to the hospital. So we'll keep them in our prayers. Our scripture lessons today are from the Old and New Testaments as we continue. In our series on the Apostles' Creed, we have uh, been focusing on this second section of the Creed, the portion where we look at the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, and descended into hell. And then today we focus on, on the third day, He rose again from the dead, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's a big chunk for us to take a look at. And we'll be looking at that through the words of the prophet Isaiah and also through the words of the Apostle Paul. So hear the word of God. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift, not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war any more. Our second lesson from Paul's letter to the Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we await for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We are grateful, O Lord, for your great love for us and for the good news that you have been raised on the third day. That you've ascended into heaven, and that you sitteth at the right hand of God the Father. Help us in these words to come to understand these words and to understand the word of Scripture and to understand the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Nearly a decade and a half ago, Malcolm Gladwell published his groundbreaking book, "The Tipping Point." The tipping point seeks to explain the phenomenon that repeatedly occurs in history when a certain idea, or a certain trend or a certain particular social behavior reaches a certain threshold, and the collective human consciousness that all of a sudden it tips in its acceptance or popularity. It tips from being just a moment or just a local phenomenon or just a curious little behavior to becoming a movement, a force, almost an epidemic. In the book, Gladwell studies the progression of things like fashion trends or or the popularity of a certain product or or even the rise and fall of crime rates, and he tries to explain the primary factors that, that lead into the tipping moment, the tipping point. Much of it has to do with the types of people who are involved and the type of connections they have to other people. But another factor that Gladwell points to is what he calls the stickiness of an idea. The stickiness of an idea. That there are just some ideas or practices or, or ideas that simply because of their compelling nature stick And once an idea sticks, it fast reaches its tipping point. And once it reaches its tipping point, there isn't much you can do about it. Victor Hugo, a hundred years earlier, put it this way No army can stop an idea whose time has come. Take, for example, the social network Facebook, something created after. Gladwell's book, Ten Short Years Ago, Facebook Did Not Exist. It was an idea that came to a Harvard undergraduate to to create a personal page on the computer with an ability for people to share information with other people and to have conversation in real time. It, It was an idea intended only for the campus of Harvard University. But no army can stop an idea whose time has come. So then it spread to other college campuses with the idea that it would be contained only among college students. No parents, no teenagers, no other adults allowed. But no army can stop an idea whose time has come. And before you knew it, within months, Facebook became a global phenomenon. In a few short years, Facebook has become one of the largest and most highly valued companies in the world, all from the confines of a college dormitory room. The idea stuck. And when an idea sticks, what soon follows is the tipping point. So speaking of tipping points, it would appear that this is where we are in our creed this morning. We have been taking the journey through the historic creed of our faith, the Apostles' Creed, beginning with our belief in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We we have looked around at the created order and imagined that there must be a creative and personal force behind all of this, that there was someone behind the wonder and beauty of all that exists. And then we drew our attention to the person of Jesus Christ, and we declared in faith that this first century Palestinian rabbi was the was the incarnation of God, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was crucified, dead and buried, and descended into hell. And by saying all this, we have said that God in his love sees the wonderful world that God has created having fallen into disarray and disorder and chaos and God in Jesus Christ enters the world and by entering the world endures the brokenness of the world and of our lives and takes upon himself the sin of the world. He atones for our sin on the cross. He accomplishes redemption. He finishes the necessary work of sacrificial love. And then comes the word, the word of today that says that instead of this just being just another one of those tragic hero stories where the good guy dies a good death in an effort to save the town, a story as old as time, instead what the word of today says is that on the third day, he rose again from the dead. In other words, he he came alive again. He came alive again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This one who suffered and died in love, the one who reigns now with the Father in heaven. The one whose hands and feet were nailed to the tree is the one whose kingdom has become. This is the new kingdom, the kingdom of the crucified and the risen Savior. Something has happened here. Something historic has happened. A new reality, a new idea has been introduced, that this sacrificial life and love of Jesus has been shown to be now the new order. The new reality, human and cosmic history, has all of a sudden tipped. We have reached the tipping point. And the idea has stuck. And what the tipping point says is that the way of the cross, the sacrificial love of the crucified one, the shame and embarrassment of the death, the sharp pains of the nail, all these things have been transformed into the instruments of the new creation. Taking the old things that we once used for ourselves and for selfish gain and for power and for hurt and for harm, turning them into the instruments of love and grace. If you can take a cross... The cruel and unusual punishment of a long-ago empire, if you can take the instrument of torture and a slow and painful death and somehow make that into the symbol of life and love that people now wear as religious jewelry, then most certainly you have reached a tipping point. When the crucified Savior rises, ascends, and sits at the right hand of the Father, well, then that means everything in the world now can be turned into a redemptive purpose. The talent we possess, the money we make, the the time we spend, all of it can be turned into a redemptive purpose. It is, I suppose, what the prophet had in mind when he spoke of that day when the nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That there would come a day, a tipping point, when it would make sense for people to take the old tools of power and of gain and of hurt and of harm and beat them into the instruments such that they would bring life and blessing and joy and sustenance. That there would be this new idea, this new fashion, this new way of life that people would lay hold of, or should I say would lay hold of people because finally they got the point that the crucified one is the one who now sits at the right hand of The Father. There's a new sheriff in town, a new administration, a new kingdom. It's the kingdom of the crucified and the risen Lord. You see it, don't you, taking hold in the lives of those first disciples who somehow, some way, have been taken hold of. And one by one, they begin turning into new people. No longer are they doubting, denying, betraying, fleeing ex-associates of Jesus. But on that day of Pentecost, they are speaking new languages and showing new courage and inviting new people into the life of the sacrificial love. Something has happened here. There has been a tipping point. Or to see the Apostle Paul back when they called him Saul of Tarsus, who made it his mission to put to rest the rumor of resurrection, to mount the armies to squelch the new idea that such a thing could occur, that a misguided rabbi dead on a cross could somehow be raised. Silly idea, Saul said. Bad idea, Saul said. But then came the day when the resurrected one appeared on the side of the road. The ascended one, the one sitting at the right hand of the father, he appeared on the road. And now all of a sudden the one who murdered apostles is now turned into an apostle. He has been laid hold of. The tipping point has arrived. And now the one who tore down lives is now the one beginning to build up lives. The swords have been beat into plowshares. And the spears have been turned into pruning horks. It's the same man who wrote that for those who have been called For those who have been grabbed by the new idea, for those who have been laid hold of by the Spirit, for those who have been called according to such purposes, why all things can be turned into good, for those who love the crucified one and the risen one, the new reality is that once you've been captured by the new idea, why there is nothing in this world that cannot be redeemed. Two extraordinary musicians died in this past month or so. Alice Summer died last week. You may remember reading about her, the longest living survivor of the Holocaust. She died at the age of 110. Now, there are a thousand different reasons for why and how a woman who spent years in a concentration camp can live to the age of 110. But Alice Summer said that the primary reason why she's alive or was alive was because of the music. She had been a great student of music before Hitler had come to power and in particular a student of Chopin. She embedded the beautiful music of Chopin into her mind and soul and it laid hold of her. It stuck. She said it it is what saved her in the camps. She could play the beautiful music from deep within her. And they wanted her for her beautiful music. They wanted her to play her beautiful music. And when she was released and learned that most of her family had been murdered, all the hurt and the pain and the bitterness that was wont to follow her the rest of her life, it was sent away from her by her music. She had been laid hold of by her music. It had been for her the tipping point. It was what kept me alive, she said, and it is what keeps me alive. Even with two crippled fingers, she learned to play with eight fingers. It kept her alive all the way to 110. You see, these are the things that that go deep into our soul, that stick to our souls and that forever change the way we view the world. That instead of the world being a place where we harbor our stuff and our anger and our resentments and our money, sometimes something sticks to our souls that makes us see that everything in the world can be redeemed. On the third day, we say, The crucified one came alive again, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. It is the new order of things. He is the new composer. The music now is taking hold, the tipping point of history, allowing us to take the stuff of this world, even the forces of evil and selfishness and harm and hurt, and make them into the instruments of life and blessing and joy and sustenance. Work your way through the New Testament, and you find person after person Jesus inviting to take the stuff of their life and to turn it into redemption For the rich man, it was his money. Could his money be redeemed? For the tax collectors, it was their work. Could their work be redeemed? For Peter, it was his relationships. Could he forgive more than seven? How about 70 times seven? For Barnabas, it was his parcel of land. Could his land be redeemed? For the centurion, it was the sword and the armor. Could his weapons be redeemed? And for us, that would be our hope. It would be our hope that somehow we might be claimed again by a new idea. The new creation, the new music, that the power and love of the crucified one would take hold of us again and make us into new creations. And so we put before us, as we do every year, the season of Lent, the journey again to the cross, the the pilgrimage to see again the nails, the nails of those Romans, weapons of the old order that they thought were enough to put down the new idea to put down the advancing love, to put down the sacrificial savior, but they didn't know that the point was tipping. That the man had come and the time had come when even the nails would be redeemed. That the savior himself would turn them from the symbol of death and torture into the symbol of new life and forgiveness and the building up of new things, that as we lay claim in Lent, we lay claim to the nails of the new order, the building material of the new kingdom, tools not to destroy or tear down, but tools to build up and make possible a new hope, beating the swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. We began just this past Wednesday to make available to each and every one of you a symbolic nail of the new order. The symbol of the love of the Savior who takes upon himself the sins of the world and the symbol of the love of the Savior whose mission it is to make all things new, to build up the new kingdom. So on your way out the door, you will be offered a nail of the new order to take with you if you don't already have one. It is attached to a card that invites you to wonder what might be built up in your life. Perhaps you're being called to, to build up a community in and around you. Or, or to build comprehension of, of the new life in Jesus Christ, or to build compassion for, for God's people, or to build commitment through the generosity of your time and your talent and your treasure. In other words, to take the stuff of the world, the stuff of your world, and to redeem it, to, to make it into something new. So we invite you to take the nail off the card and let it be a reminder to you of what God is calling you now to build up. And when you have a sense of what purposes you're being called to sometime over the weeks of Lent, note it on the card and bring the card over to the courtyard. And under the tree there, you'll find a cross. And on that cross is where you can put your card to show that for you, the tipping point has arrived. No more hammers and nails of the old order. It's the new order for me. It's the new creation. It's the new kingdom. No more tearing down. Now's the time to build up. I said a minute ago that two great musicians died within the last few weeks. The second was Pete Seeger. Pete Seeger wrote the great folk song If I had a hammer, wherein he wondered what might you do with a hammer? Is it the nail of the old order? Or is it the nail of the new order? Pete Seeger answered it this way. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening all over this land. I'd hammer out danger. I'd hammer out a warning. I'd hammer out love between my brothers and my sisters, all over the land.